There are seven and a half million people in Hong Kong, and the most important one is here with us today. It's like an open. Wow. Okay. All right. Here we go. It's da da da. Wilson's coverage of the festival. What festival? Guys, Which I'm festival? So tired. <laughs> Which okay. festival? Uh, let's let's. Oh, oh, wait. The festival's HKIFF forty-seven. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, 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 okay. And I am Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yup. I'm Eli Sands. And you're listening to Deep Cut. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us, usually. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. But that's not what we're doing today, right, Wilson? Because you went off and did something. I, exciting. did I do a Wilson did that. (laughs) I... I'm still in the middle of it as well. It's not. It's not over yet. It's not over. Um, really, it's still going. Oh, really? Yeah, it's going till next Wednesday. Um, so there's still a, like a little less than a week left of this festival. But I, I did gone and 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 did it. I got us. Well, I got myself press accreditation to the newest edition. Just yourself of <laughs> Hong Kong yeah. International. Film festival, and uh, I am officially covering the festival for this podcast. <laughs> it's well, crazy yeah. because I feel like, like I like You're I, I told you guys, I told you guys <laughs> on the chat. I feel like I conned this festival to get a press pass to do coverage, and as Eli <laughs> said, that <laughs> Eli said that the festival conned me into doing coverage of the festival, which yeah, I guess it's it's a little goes yes. both ways. <laughs> it's a little goes both ways. I have a question. How what's yes. the short way of saying the festival's acronym? It's just HKIFF. People say the entire acronym. That's too long. I'm gonna Hakif. Hakif. Pioneer. H Kif. H Kif. Terrible. Is Singapore S GIF? SGIF? Yeah, people either say S GIF or S-G-I-F-F or S-G-I-F. Well, then what's New York? Knife? Yeah, New York is also yeah, N-Y-F-F. New York doesn't, isn't called like the New York International Film Festival. International is a very it's long true. word. It's five it's syllables. True. That would be N-Y-F. 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 Here's my anyway. god darn press pass. Um, I will post it. Well, I don't need to post it because it has an ID number. Wilson nice. is holding up his press pass. I'm holding up a press pass. And <laughs> I got a hundred of these. Fucking deep cut name cards with a nice little QR code that I passed around to different people at the festival, some industry folk, some hot directors have this name card on them now, which I'm very (laughs) honored and feel very privileged to have done it was sort of crazy because i was i was really hoping that i would get press accreditation but i was also 
ready to not get press accreditation. So then I bought tickets to a bunch of movies as well, which <laughs> was fine. I saw a couple of them already, and there are still a few more to come. But press accreditation is incredible. Like, you can just go and line up for a movie, you get in for free, and you just, like watch a movie for free it's what it's, if it's sold out and stuff like so does that okay happen? sold out stuff they technically say you're not allowed to line up for the movie it's like off limits but if you show up to the screening they let all ticket holders in first and then if there are free seats which usually for sold out screenings there's like first two rows like are not sold seats like they're because it's free seating so ended up being like maybe at least 10 or so seats are available and then i went to a couple sold out screenings that i was able to get to uh, like seats to nice like a couple of the movies that i will talk about today wilson you've been to a number of film festivals now right you've seen movies at berlin at new york aside from having press accreditation How does Hong Kong International Film Festival stand apart in tone or identity in some way? Mm. I would say the really unique thing about Hong Kong International Film Festival is how its placement in like global cinema. I think similarly to SGIF, they take in a lot of East Asian and Southeast Asian and south asian films but also grabbing holdovers from like this year's sundance or this year's berlinale which just happened in months prior as well as a few films from the previous year that didn't get a chance to screen theatrically in hong kong and i think being at hkiff and um, watching these movies with like really big crowds like even the smaller movies i really got a sense that there is such a big cinephile community in Hong Kong, which you don't really see a lot because I feel like Hong Kong as a city itself is severely lacking in like rep theaters, rep screenings. Mm-hmm. So it was really great to see just a big community of people watching these movies. And I also like I've been to a couple HKIFFs from last year and the year before. But this year was the first year they've sort of like been fully in in person, even though there are some online screenings, which is awesome. Mm. But being able to just have that festival fever is just something that I personally feel like so addicted to. Like just going to like four movies a day, (laughs) like gets my blood pumped. Even though by the end of the day, I'm like, Ooh, like movies. all the movies that I saw that day are like melding together into like one big mishmash. <laughs> I would say that the categories you have like a regular competition, like gala category, and then you have some international auteurs, which a few movies will like Frederick Wiseman's a couple played in that section. And then you have a documentary mm-hmm. competition section, mm-hmm. as well as there's like I think there were like three retrospectives or like old film sections. Wow. Of of who? So one of them would just were just like newly restored classics. So that included right. the new 4K restoration of A City of Sadness, which was my favorite watch of the festival. Tell us about that because you yeah. sent a photo of a huge theater. It was incredible. It was in the 
biggest theater of the festival, the the Cultural Center Grand Theater, um, and that sat a thousand people. And it's usually for like operas and and Damn. that sort of those wow. kind of events. So they only open it up to film screenings for HKIFF, and that was one of those sold out screenings that I got last minute let into. Thousand seats sold out. I know, I know. People love Ho Xiao Shen. And like wild. Edward Yang's A Confusion Confusion, <laughs> that restoration got a sold out screening there as well that I wasn't able to ent- attend. I'm sure. But A City of Sadness is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've decided after this watch. Um, mm. But I think, yeah, watching with mm. a big crowd on that new like gorgeous looking restoration um just really reaffirmed why i think ho is one of the our greatest living filmmakers and i think the pain he's able to like encapsulate within this one movie is sort of indescribable and like like you you it's it's hard to like measure because it, it feels so great he's sort of like holding the pain of a whole nation in like one film which i think is something that's hmm. I don't know. It's like awesome. It's 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 yeah. <laughs> like not many directors can do that. And I feel like directors from countries like Taiwan and Philippines and like countries with a lot of like historical collective trauma are able to like create masterpieces like this. So, yeah. That whole movie is incredible. Like you if you haven't seen it yet, you got to I think Sanders is still my favorite whole. I haven't seen that many whole Southian movies. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, like, how long does it take for a film to gain that stature hmm. when it comes to representing something like that about a nation hmm. yeah. or a nation's trauma? Because, like, I wonder how it was thought of when it came out in 1989. Like, it's true. And then it's how true. long it takes for it to build up its sense that, oh, you know, this film really got it at that time. I think it depends on the the history of the nation itself as well. Like I think it's really like case mm. by case. That's um, true. And Taiwan is such a, I yeah. don't know. It's an old nation, but also a very new nation. Wilson, you said that the audience reaction to City of Sadness was really special to be a part of. Can you talk a little bit about that? I don't think it was a very vocal reaction. That's the thing. But I think there's like there was really something in the silence. There was like it was a hush. Mm that happened throughout the whole movie and no one was on their phones no one was talking like it was dead silence and that was to put this in perspective i like a few days before i saw plan 75 the japanese film from director uh, chie mm-hmm. hayakawa in that same room and that was like People were shuffling, people were talking, people were, like, not in the mood to watch that movie. Um, I don't blame them. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not terrible, but it's, like, I have issues. You're thinking about dying, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was a big difference between the two. And I, I just really felt in the film. Mm. I feel like I can't say that for most of the films I saw at this festival, but I'm I'm glad that I was there in that moment and I saw that movie with that audience. Pretty incredible. Hmm. You said that people didn't get up during the credits as well, right? Yeah, it was silent. It's like <laughs> the, the credits ran and, and then usually because it's a festival and people want to go to other movies, like they rush out. But like there's, there's commotion, people shuffling behind you. But like people really like sat 
stared and there was a clap at the start of the credits and then the credits ended and then people clapped again <laughs> and like it like wow. nice. that's crazy like hoshashan's not even there and tony Lur's not even there like none of them are there um <laughs> so to to have They're the on screen bro it's the same <laughs> that's true but to have the urge to clap like that for a hong kong audience i feel like that's very unique if you go to like a rep screening in new york i think yeah. it's like you people would clap for a, a film like that but that was that was it was pretty awesome experience and i'm so glad I was there, and it sits atop my nice. HKIFF 47 ranking, and I doubt I doubt anything in the next five days of the festival will reach that high. So I think I'm, I can clearly say that that was my favorite watch of the festival. Sounds really special. Yeah, it was. What were the other retrospectives you were talking about? So the other two... I want to hear all about New Blood. Oh, yeah. Sorry, go on, go on. Uh, Well, actually, there were three. Damn. Okay, so there was, like, a Jean-Luc Godard and Anna Karenina. Is that her name? Karenina? No, that's the novel. Karina. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. The... Oh, Russian Anna Karenina. Novel, yeah. Damn. Sorry, Anna Karenina. <laughs> and sorry, Anna Karenina. <laughs> sorry, Anna Karenina. You would have loved trains. There was a Jean-Luc Godard and Anna Karenina retrospective. So I think it was all the movies that they worked on together. And then, very, very, like, timely, or not timely, but coincidentally, there was a Juzo Itami full retrospective, which... No way. Yeah, way. Whoa. Listen to our episodes on him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, I have not seen any of those on the big screen, which is sort of a bummer, because I really wanted to catch Super Market Woman on the big screen for the first time. Uh. But hopefully, maybe I can catch Mimbo or a Taxing Woman in the days to come. And then the last one was Soi Chang, who is our... The festival's filmmaker in focus. So Soi Chang is a Hong Kong oh. director who's been working for quite a few years. He has a new film that was the opening night film at the festival called Mad Fate alongside Anne Hui's new film, Elegies. Alongside that, they did a whole retrospective of his films. And I was able to catch two of those films. One being Shamo, a manga adaptation that was not that good. But then the first one being New Blood, which is fucking crazy. It is wild. And it was my first Soi Chung. So it really like got me super hyped to explore more of his filmography. So it's a super simple horror movie premise. Two young people decide to like commit suicide together, but then the girl gets saved by three random people who gave blood, did a blood transfusion to save her life. And because, oh no, the girl died, the guy lived. And because the girl wanted the guy to die with her, she's like super pissed off. So she starts haunting the three people that (laughs) saved this guy's life. Um, It's like crazy premise, but like. But not the guy, the guy who didn't die, she doesn't haunt him. (laughs) He's not of the hook. No, because he's in a coma. But she uh, but what she wants them to do is she wants them <laughs> to kill that guy. So <laughs> oh, that's it's, so good. It's crazy. It's crazy. And um I think stylistically, Soi Chang is someone that I feel so akin to or so on the same wavelength of because he's Mm. always trying new things visually and he's his lighting choices are all wacky and 
trying to go for like what will make this scene look as crazy as possible or as cool as possible um <laughs> so i think i really admire that about his work and i feel like i need to catch limbo which some people on our discord has been raving about as as their favorite film from from 2020 so or 2021 oh yeah yeah i need to catch that yeah. That's the movie that's supposed to be like really yeah. grimy, right? Mm-hmm. And the black and white. Looks dirty. Yeah, <laughs> dirty. Um, but I will also be catching um, Mad Fate, his new film that's going to open later this month um, in Hong Kong. Cool. cool. His posters definitely have like a vibe. Yeah, they do. And they he also do. did these Monkey King adaptations, <laughs> <laughs> which look really out of place. Yeah, but seems like it's very like Hong Kong, right? Where you have like a one for me, one for them type attitude to working in yeah. the industry. And like mm. his new film, Mad Fate, is sort of like a one for them-ish because he's... I think this might have been the first film that... He hadn't written in a long time, and this was written by Yao Nai Yao Nai Hoi, who is a Milky Way, one of the like the big Milky Way um. people. Worked with Johnny Toe a lot because I think recently Soi Chung has been taking under the wing of Milky Way, um, and is one of their like most of his films come from their production company, his new films. Cool. So good for him and good for Johnny Toe and his team for supporting other filmmakers in the industry like this because i think it's really important now that the industry is sort of like dwindling for like hong kong directors or auteurs that have decided to stay in hong kong and work to really like band together and help each other out mm. yeah so it was really glad to see that you interviewed switching like shortly like briefly i did on the something on the red like carpet, is it a red carpet kind of deal the opening night red carpet <laughs> so i hadn't seen the film obviously so i just asked him a couple of questions about being at the festival and making a film and that was such a last minute decision to go to that to that um red carpet so i didn't even know i think i would just i was oh i was just gonna take some photos of these directors but then i saw some people like at the corner of my eye like talking to some of the the press people that work for hkiff and then i inch closed and then they're like do you want to interview anybody and i'm like uh okay yeah i'll i'll interview the director Damn, so it's not nice. so soy chung's team came second the first team that came in was ann hoy's team Tell us about- for leg <laughs> and that was like okay this was the first day of the fucking festival yeah i have not seen any of the movies yet i'm just like i'm 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 ready i'm like excited i'm fresh i'm naive i'm like okay i'm gonna have a fun time (laughs) i i just got my press accreditation like approved a few days ago i'm like oh this is this could be so fun and then cut to me at the red carpet about like Anne is walking over to me and I'm like fuck I don't know what to ask her <laughs> so I go what's it like being ask her a- what a deep cut movie is <laughs> I know I should have I should have but I asked her two questions it's like the letterbox four favorites bullshit <laughs> yeah it probably would would have been better to ask for a four favorite why don't we cut to the interview Do you, okay like- we can cut to the interview 
Boom. Um, so what does it feel like having the, a film open for the new Hong Kong International Film Festival? Oh, of course I'm very honored. Mm -hmm. um, so what can fans of your previous work expect from this new work? I know that's a documentary and it's covering local poets. So what, what kind of new things are, will fans of your work expect? Well, it's about a subject which is quite rare. อืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอืมอ
uh, about this film. So I also want to thank my good friend Miko, who is a big cinephile as well, who I went to college with, um, who last minute helped me interpret this hour-long interview um, with him and did a bang good job. Dang good job of it. Um, so thank you so much, Miko. Nice. We will... Thank you, Miko. Probably release a separate special episode with this um, interview. Cut for time because, yeah, nice. we'll, we'll just cut the translated bits. Let's play one second of it right now just to tease the listeners. Interview. Oh, my pleasure. Um, <laughs> All right, that was one second of Wilson's interview. <laughs> um, and I mean, this this synopsis for this film really doesn't tell you much about what it's gonna be about. No, egoist. No, it's not egoist. Yeah, it's it's really vague. I have no idea what it's about. Yeah, there is a second act twist in it that I feel like oh. you would rather not be spoiled about. Right. I think it hits its melodramatic beats really well, and the choice to shoot all in handheld close-ups basically it's a lot of handheld close-ups was very effective in adding to the realism of it Mm. i guess there's stuff about like being in the closet but i don't think that is the main like concern of this film which i'm really glad to see because so much of asian queer film is about that sort of tension that you have by being in the closet. Mm. So it was nice mm. to see. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So check it out if it comes your way. I know it's playing in theaters in Japan right now. So yeah, if you're a Japanese listener, go go check it out. Good movie. I think I want to talk about a few more new releases. First one, new-ish. This came out last year and it's all fully available online, but I have not seen it and wanted to catch it on the big screen. And this is Claire Denise. Stars at Noon, starring Margaret yes. Qualley and Joe Alwyn. I was so shocked by how much I loved it because everyone on Letterboxd seems to be ragging on this dang movie. <laughs> it's so sensual. It's Denis does an incredible job of setting a tone of a space for you as a viewer and making you feel like you're there. Mm. And this film is um, set in Nicaragua, where political tensions are super high and it's dangerous, but also like so sweaty and gross and icky. But through that, she finds like a sort of sensuality between the two leads that are both caught there for different nefarious reasons. And I think they both give an outstanding performance. Denis is a director that has been on my radar for so long, but I've just been so slow on the pickup with her work. But I saw they had a retrospective of her work a few months ago, and I was able to catch 35 Shots of Rum, which I adored. And now this being like the next Denis film that I've seen, I think I just need to go deeper and i really want to cover on the podcast it's oh work is outstanding you haven't seen Bo travai i have not i have not oh Bo travai is a great movie that's yeah, crazy i got you <laughs> i can't believe you haven't seen it it's such a wilson movie i've seen Bo travai which i really love and i've seen trouble every day which i really don't <laughs> i want to watch that uh, one i don't remember super well but i remember not liking very much that's the vampire movie 
her vampire movie, I think. Yeah. Trouble Every Day. Yeah. That's her Bones and All movie. Good stuff. On Letterboxd, Stars at Noon is her lowest rated film average wow. rating. Mm. And then second lowest is Both Sides of the Blade. I know some people who really go out for Stars at Noon. <laughs> yeah. Fred Hopner's review. Go read it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, mean, I love the poster. I love Margaret Qualley, but... Yeah, check it out. But I, I, I also think <laughs> I feel watching like this is not going to work for me. <laughs> but I think watching in the cinema really aided in that. I was very, very zoned in yeah. on the, in that screening. Like any movie, really. Of course, of course. For this one, more so than others. The next film that I'm going to talk about is, I guess, a little bit on the ickier side. It's definitely not for everyone. I think even more so than the Denis film. It's the new, it's the new Ulrich Seidel movie called Sparta. Ulrich Seidel is not super well known, but he's a he sort of does docu fiction films. I think that's what he started out doing. So he has this trilogy called the Paradise Trilogy. I've only seen one of those movies, Paradise Love, and he his movies are intentionally made to feel, make you feel uncomfortable and make you question your morals and ethics and about the world, like your thoughts on world order and like how things should happen. His new film Sparta which played at HKIFF, is no different. And it tells the story of this guy who you're a little unsure about, but he's sort of having a rough time with his dad, who's a Nazi, I think, uh, at an old age home. And he's trying to take care of him. And he gets treated like shit by his dad. And then him with his wife and child. And that's not going so well. So then he runs away and he runs this town in romania well he is he's not romanian but i forgot where he's from <laughs> sorry i'm doing a damn bad job at this um, uh, but ulrich Seidel is austrian oh yeah he's probably austrian don't hold me to this but he he runs away from his family and what he does is he starts this karate a judo school in this very rundown town and he starts recruiting boys to go to this uh judo school and at first you're like oh wow he's doing such a great thing for his community um he's like doing it for no pay and he's he seems like he's really take care of these kids and then things start happening well (laughs) where he he starts like making the kids like fight in their underwear and he starts like touching them uh. and stuff that where Seidel does this thing where he goes he tries to go as close to the line as possible that he actually starts pushing the line and like that's what I find really interesting about his work is that how he goes about this wavy middle ground this like very gray area because he builds so much pathos for this main character you 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 feel like you know him as a person and you know his struggles but also there's this part of him that becomes clearer and clearer to you as a viewer they're like this is not all right this is not good not a good person but i don't know it's i was it was riveting it was riveting i was i was glued to the screen it it's tough to talk about i think a lot of people will be really put off by this movie but I enjoyed 
might not be the right word, but I took a lot out of this movie. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking for something that pushes your buttons, Sparta or Exedal, go for it. This is such a hard sell. It's so funny. As you were talking, I added it to my pressing watch list, and now I'm removing it from my pressing watch list. <laughs> Definitely. Just mark it as washed. The part that you described of questioning an audience's standing morals sounded really interesting. And maybe I'll start with the Paradise trilogy. Yeah. What you said about pushing the line sounds apt. Yeah. Paradise trilogy is, well, maybe not equally as upsetting, but it is quite upsetting. And I think it talks about stuff to do with, like, sex Hmm. tourism and about like white women in African nations. It's like quite icky as well, but I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around him as a director. This guy's career feels like, what is taboo? Let me make a movie about that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just run through the taboos and just go through all of them and make a movie about each one. (laughs) I guess that's one one way to structure a career. (laughs) The way that he shoots his scenes are like they are all like long, long takes, like handheld. So it feels like the things that are happening on screen Uh. are actually happening. So it's just like a very weird dissonance there that I don't know. I felt like I was able to connect with, Hmm. but might be hard for a lot of other folks. Okay, hot take question. Yeah. Is Eric Romero's career also not what's taboo? Go make a movie about it. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so many of them are not taboo. Not in the same scale, of course, but like... I mean, no, definitely not. <laughs> Love in the Afternoon. I would say even Boyfriends and Girlfriends. They're taboo for you, Eli, but not for French people. <laughs> what, rolling around in the forest isn't taboo? Windsurfing no. isn't taboo? No. no, not at all. Putting a sweater over your head and making a funny face isn't taboo? <laughs> Okay, cut this. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) I want to hear about this documentary, Our Body. Is that the documentary that you were going to talk about? That's the one I was going to talk about, Eli. I want to hear about Our Body. Yeah, this is a documentary (laughs) by Claire Simone, who I've only seen one other film about uh, from, and that film's called The Competition, and it's about like the entry oh, process to this really the competitive the film school. Film school, yeah, exactly. Uh, that Claire Denis teaches that. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think that in itself wasn't as riveting as this movie, and this movie is about a gynecology wing of a Parisian public hospital and the day to days there. It sounds very much like a Wiseman film and it plays very much like a Wiseman film. You have long conversations with medical professionals helping patients and you get to hear about all these non-cis male folks talk about their body issues and body problems and that sort of thing. And I think that in like with Wiseman's work in its like the, the compounding effect of having all these scenes and all these people helping these other people happening in succession to each other you you get a really grand sense of this is important work and it's so incredible mm. that 
to my knowledge, this is free for public because it's a public hospital that this mm. institution gives to to people. So you have different scenes of like you you see a live birth on screen, which is crazy. Wow. You see a live C-section on screen, which is even crazier i like a lot of people (laughs) that's crazy out at the the cutting of the whole whole and i am a c-section baby so i'm like oh my god oh my god that's that's how that's how how you come into the world (laughs) it's crazy it's crazy like a little alien (laughs) 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 like alien the movie (laughs) (laughs) and then i think there is a couple of scenes and towards the end of this film that sort of step into a higher gear um after simone herself gets admitted and needs to like I think is diagnosed with cancer and has a very touching moment in front of the screen, um, as well as her producer who introduced her to this hospital also getting treated at the at the hospital. And I think that sort of breaking of the fourth wall moment in this documentary where the director becomes the subject for a little moment really made this a little more transcendent than a normal documentary. I do think compared to the way that Wiseman uh, structures his films and sequences his scenes, I think Wiseman's approach works a lot better, but I think there are things to really enjoy and take from this film from Claire Simone. I mean, you compared this to a Wiseman film, but then obviously with Wiseman films, he does not have almost at all a personal stake in what's going on in the things that he looks at like how do you think that approach melts with a wiseman like style that you say that this film has like does it feel it almost sounds like it should be disconcerting almost to suddenly have the filmmaker put herself inside a little bit if she was to so-called have a wiseman approach a little bit but the way that the film starts out is sort of a she narrates a thesis statement for the film Hmm. where she was like this hospital is like a 10 minute bike ride from my home and this is so close to me and i wanted to my producer asked told me it'd be really interesting to examine the the goings-on at this hospital you and you don't hear this narration until the end of the film so it sort of like bookends the film and then after that you get into these really long scenes of of these conversations happening or these treatments happening so i think with that framing device it works because you understand that there's a person there's a a filmmaker behind the camera making this film whereas with mm. Wiseman i i think his vo- his directorial voice is is very hidden from clear view or, or subjective voice so definitely check that out. I really enjoyed that. That played that premiered at Berlin this year. Yeah, sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's about as long as a Wiseman film as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It it's is. A long <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. I wonder um, how a couple played in theaters because I would. I should have. I should have <laughs> caught it. I should. Have, I should have seen it because it's. It's only 60, 61 minutes or sixty seven minutes. So I should have gone to see yeah, it. You've taken a nice nap in the garden, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, no Saint comment. Omer. 
I really want to hear about Saint Omer. Saint Omer is pretty pretty dang good. Pretty dang dang good. Uh, I think mm. un- I watched it. Like unfortunately, I watched it at the end of a really long movie day, and that's not always great because I was quite like screen tired. But mm. despite that, I was mm. still like very locked in on the performances on screen and the story of these two women so i don't know if you know a lot about the plot of this film so i think it's based on alice diop the director's own like experiences attending a, a trial of this immigrant woman so one of these actresses kaije kagame plays the alice diop like stand-in who's attending this trial of um this woman called Lawrence Coley who's accused of murdering her own or killing her own child and we get to see her questioning from both sides and her explanations for why why things ended up the way that they did and through this, she paints a portrait of a really tough life. And Rama, the Alice Diop stand-in, starts to find connections between her life and Lawrence's life, or her mom's life and Lawrence's life. So I think that was really interesting because it's not... A really clear connection but I think the way that Diop tells the story with flashbacks hmm. it becomes understandable to a viewer and I think that's a really tough task to do and yeah it's just really compelling cinema and I'd be very interested to watch it again I don't think I'm as hot on it as a lot of other people are but maybe that was just how I was feeling during the screening that's one that I'm really excited to, to watch yeah yeah, same here. Like, I want to see this. It's one of the ones I missed from last year. Yeah, it's it's on VOD, right? It's on VOD right now. It's in theaters here in New York. No, it was recently in theaters here in New York. I think that is most of the films that I want to talk about. I did see another doc that I, I liked quite a bit called The Still Small Voice. Like, really interesting main subject of the documentary um and really like i think a moving work about the work that hospital chaplains do and i think the director luke lorenzen was making this documentary but shot it basically like a narrative feature it looks like so staged and because I, i was going into this really blind like for the first like half an hour i was like this is this is not a documentary. And then I had looked it up and I was like, oh, wait, this is a real life person. It's pretty wild. It, like, I think it's yeah, it's great. Eli, you have it on your watch list because I think our friend um, Keith, who who runs Cinemush, um, saw it at, at Sundance and gave it a really rave review. Yeah, I would say definitely check that out. That's mm. not on a lot of people's radars. Yeah, I'm very happy with the movies that I saw so far. And I still have a few to come. What What's on the radar? What are you excited about? I'm seeing the Hong tomorrow. I'm seeing the new Hong in water tomorrow. Ooh. And Ooh, after, Hong, boy. after having topped my 2022 list, 
not that I have high, high <laughs> hopes, but I'm like, I think I'm going to really love it either way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I might just add a little edit to the end of this episode talking about that movie. And I'm also going to catch um, a fire, the new Christian Petzolt on Monday. Oh, Ooh. and that's also something that I'm really excited about. I think people are... I think people are a little more lukewarm on this one once it, after it premiered at um, Berlin. Lukewarm on a fire. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have not seen a pet salt that I did not like and feel really connected to. So I have hmm. decently high hopes for that. His last film was Undine, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, been that a, was a while ago. Yeah. It was. It has been it's a while. Like 2017. 2020, actually, apparently. Yeah. Feels like a while ago, probably because it was pre COVID. <laughs> yeah. I feel great about being at a film festival. I just remembered how yeah. fun it was to just run to different movies across town. And I think hmm. just being in that mindset and like just going around the city, but this time it is like my city that I grew up in. It's just awesome mm. because the last few HKIFFs that I've been to, I went to like a few screenings here and there, but this year I was like, I've been watching like two to three movies a day at the cinemas and it has been so fulfilling, um, especially after the start of the year this year for me, which has been very like slow on the movie watching. This has really allowed mm -hmm. me to, like, kick it into high gear for a little bit. Yeah, dude. And it was perfect timing with the school holiday. Yeah, I just fucking love film festivals, guys. Like, if anyone's listening, please give me press accreditation to other ones that I apply to. <laughs> Hopefully this won't be the last. And you'll be getting more of this exciting content. Exactly. Exactly. On an aging media platform <laughs> that is not TikTok. <laughs> and I don't know. I hope you guys also get to go to like festivals to represent Deep Cut. Like, I think it's just really cool. Like, I was able to talk to a lot of folks like other press or people that worked for the festivals or directors about the podcast. And they all seemed very cool about it maybe they were just being nice to me but <laughs> it's just good to hear that it's like oh you're making a podcast about like directors and covering parts of the filmography that's super cool like yeah i i, I don't uh, know it is just a good thing just a good thing <laughs> we should try to do we should try to go somewhere and get Together? press accreditation the three of us I don't know whether they'll give it to us. Con? We just did a con in a festival. Con? <laughs> nah, let's do let's do like Gosh. Venice or something. Like let's go to let's go to a cool place with good food. I mean Con would have good food too, but it's so crowded. Oh, Venice sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. Berlin is over yeah, this year. I love Berlin. It's over. It is over. But it's like also Busan. Apparently, it's pretty easy to get the thing from Busan, the platform at Busan. <laughs> I love how we're like sort of, what what are we calling it? Uh, game talking? What is that term? Baseball? Uh, I forgot it. Insider what baseball? Meta talking? Money ball. Insider talk. In, yeah, insi insider, insider talk about getting into film festivals. Is there like a Hawaii film festival? Let's go somewhere that's good to vacation, you know? 
Ooh, I'm sure there is a Hawaii Film Festival. Um, oh, but the last thing I want to say about HKIFF is that, well, I think most festivals are like this, but like Sundance isn't, I think Khan isn't, but HKIFF is really great because it's more public facing and right. festivals that increase its, or like that is aimed at being super accessible to the public mm. is the best kinds of festivals this year there were 28 hong kong dollar student tickets and 28 hong kong dollars is like five us dollars it's like less than that that's great that is so cheap to watch a movie so so many university students so many high school students were at the movies this festival i saw them there it's so great like such a great idea to get those seats filled with these cheap tickets and get people watching these movies and like growing their love for movies. Like it's just so mm. smart. And what I like my biggest ask of HKIFF is just more screenings, more theaters, just more, just more. Give me more. How many films did they screen? Do you know? It was, I think it's around 200. The total oh, damn dude films. <laughs> It's pretty. It's a lot. <laughs> it's it's quite a lot. It's spread out over maybe six theaters um, in the in the city. You want more movies? <laughs> <laughs> okay, not more movies, but the the yeah, have some more. But the, I think the fact that it was limited to six theaters, right? And each film, because there's so many films, each film basically got two screenings on average. Yeah, like it would be nice to have more screenings. Like, I think Berlin has, like, maybe four to five screenings per big movie. Mm. And I think just opportunities to see the movies, because a lot of them, a lot of the hot movies, like, sold out. Like, all the Hong Sang-soo screenings sold out. The Petzolt screenings sold out. The Anhui screenings sold out. Like, it's, there is a demand for it. And I'm glad that HKIFF now knows that there's a demand for it. So hopefully next year there will be there will be just more do you think the festival has changed since like previous years for this edition i think the was more par for the course yeah i think it was pretty the same as before all right but i think the student thing was a big difference this year and that was really good to see but i think courting more like more people yes courting courting more more audiences exactly but just Seeing it from the press standpoint this year has been really eye-opening and invigorating, and I'm just, like, feel really lucky. Yeah, mm. watch out, HKF. He's going to be there every year now. <laughs> yeah, now that I have one <laughs> one year of HKFF under my belt, yeah, I'm going to come back every year. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear about your... Experience at HKFF. Hope the new Hong is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys will find yeah, out on to Letterboxd tomorrow. Thing. Yeah, and also you yeah. listeners will find out Ooh, in a couple seconds as well. <laughs> and uh, I will link a list of the films that I caught at the festival in the description of the podcast, um, and also be on the lookout for the Daishi Matsunaga interview that we'll be releasing soon. And, fingers crossed, there are some talks of some extra interviews that I might be able to do. So okay, maybe oh, that will happen, but no promises. Hi there. This is Wilson from the future. I am doing a little pickup because after we recorded, I still had probably like five more 
days of the festival left. And it turns out some of the best films that I saw at the festival I watched in those five days. So I'm just going to highlight four must watches or highly recommended films that I saw in the last few days. The first of which was Elvis Aliang Lu's documentary, A Holy Family. And this right now is my highest rated new film of the festival and my highest rated film of the year. It is a very simple documentary that Aliang made about his family, um, his two parents and his older brother, who he left 20 years ago to go to Taipei and start pursuing filmmaking. Um, and after 20 years, he's returned and he documents four years in his family's life. And this is an incredibly powerful and personal documentary. I wrote this in my letterbox review and you can read it, but I sort of compared this to the thematic goals that were set by um, the, the Daniels in their Oscar winning film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And what I mean by that is that I think EEAAO tries to tell this experience of a really like typical Asian family that is never quick to emotion, rarely shows affection, and how through one character's plight, they're able to start bonding and start healing together. Um, and this documentary actually does a similar thing with Aliang returning to his family and filming them and having them talk to th him about these really intense and heartbreaking things. They start opening up and like real genuine feelings from within start coming to the surface. And the screening that I was in, like everyone was crying. You could hear the weeps at the back. I think people around me understood what this show of affection meant and how like incredible to see that on screen. So that was highly, highly recommended. I don't know if it has international distribution yet. The documentary had like a like hundred production companies at the start of it. So hopefully it gets a in wider international release. Um, that is A Holy Family directed by Elvis Aliang Lu. The second film that I want to talk about is, well, I can't not talk about the new Hong Sang-soo, especially because Hong topped my 2022 best of list. So this is his newest film called In Water that premiered at Berlin Film Festival earlier this year. Notoriously well-known on Twitter for her being shot out of focus. And I think this was a choice going into it that I was trying to understand. And I think I only finally got after watching the film. It is not only a reflection of Hong's deteriorating eyesight, but also I think it makes the images incredibly painterly. Like most of these out of focus shots happen outdoors and you're really paying attention to shot compositions, the shapes you see on screen, and also actors have to rely less on their face and more on their body. And I think this works well with Hong's mode of filmmaking where he's doing these long takes and he's making these actors really fully embody their characters and showing it in a really physical sense. Yeah, I think this was really good. I really resonated with Hong's 
attitude towards expressing the joy and the love and the trials and tribulations of filmmaking. The characters that he centers this film on are naive, they're young, they're fresh, um, but they want to make movies. And I think that Hong presenting this kind of filmmaking um, and having that as like an outlet to show why he loves filmmaking and the mode of filmmaking that he operates in with very little crew members um, coming up with stories on the fly, on location, um, makes it seem like such a magical thing. And having just got on off of a short film set, it just reminded me why like the act of filmmaking itself, not not the film, but just being on set and making moves and making movies is such a gratifying thing. So thank you once again, Hong Sang-soo. It's a great movie. Go check it out. The third film I want to talk about is also another new release. And this was sort of a blind watch. I went to it with my friend Ethan. We saw... a. Uh, Lila Alviles' new film, Totem. And this is a film that's set over the course of a day. Sol, who's a seven-year-old girl, is preparing to celebrate a big family celebration of her dad's birthday. And through the course of the day, through this very naturalistic handheld documentary-like cinematography, we get a sense of this large family and how they're coming together to support Sol's father, who's not doing too well. And I think this sort of creeping in of dread and grief and loss, sort of like preemptive loss and preemptive grief is really powerful. And I think the way that the film matures into what it ends up being is something that's pretty incredible. And I don't really want to spoil things, even though you sort of know what's going on by half an hour in but where the movie takes you emotionally and how lightly and simply it does it is something that I think should be studied and I really want to go back to this film um, and see if it was as like rapturous as I initially made it out to be so that's Totem. The last film that I'm going to talk about is a restoration of I think a wildly underseen Taiwanese new wave classic called Dust of Angels by Xu Xiaoming. And I think at the start of the festival, I wasn't really super interested in catching this film. But then my friend Kelly, who was at the festival as well, told me that this was her favorite watch of the festival. So I, I made it my mission to catch it in the last two days of the fest. And I'm really glad I did. I think the restoration looks gorgeous. I think the restoration itself looks better than the City of Sadness restoration. Um, I don't know why. The colors, the the crispness of the image, I think it just popped a lot. And I was very impressed by the quality of the restoration. The film itself is great. I think if you are a fan of Taiwanese New Wave, uh, you will see a lot of familiar faces. Like the guy that plays the older brother in City of Sadness has a role here. And if you have seen Edward Yang's four-hour epic like one of the best films ever made, A Brighter Summer Day, one of the characters who plays Ma in, in that film um, is a leading, is one of the leads in Dust of Angels. And Dust of Angels is uh, sort of a crime epic that follows these two young boys who sort of get caught in this 
gang war and leads them to very dangerous places. But I think a simple story backed by really strong visual and oral style um, makes this pretty like top tier. Like I think I was really impressed. I like went in not having super high expectations, but was really blown over by the acting, the long takes, the camera placements, and also the soundtrack. Everything was like really working together to convey this sense of place and sense of time. And not so much the sense of helplessness that these kids are having, but I think there's sort of like a balance between uh, the coolness and the wannabeness of like, oh, let's be gangsters that's portrayed through the visuals and in the stark reality of what actually happens to them. Yeah, those are the extra four films that I saw at the festival that I wanted to highlight. And I hope to be back next year. Cool. Peace. I'm glad you had fun. It was fun to imagine you running around Hong Kong to different screenings. Yeah, what would have made it even more fun was if I was running around with you two. Aww. I agree. Wish could That'd be, be there. fun. <laughs> yeah, you guys take year. a trip. Take a trip to Hong Kong. Hong Kong's a short bound away. Yeah, I was talking to Ben about maybe going to Singapore this December for SGIF. So maybe that we can make oh, that happen. For a little bit, right? See mm-hmm. if we can make it happen. See if they'll mm-hmm. give me press accreditation. They already know me. <laughs> I don't know if they if HKIF HKIF HKIFF gave me press accreditation. I feel like. SGIF, it could happen. But they do like having like uh people go back, people who have participated in the festival in like its various parts mm. to come back and like help and stuff. Like they had past participants of the critics program come in to talk, like ad hoc. They were just there <laughs> doing photography. They were like, okay, how about you talk about your experience? And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like they like having familiar faces around. Yeah. And part of the application for press accreditation was like, have you covered this festival in the past? And I feel like if right. that's a well, yes, then that's an immediate <laughs> like, yes, you are getting this press accreditation. It would be nice to go to the festival and give out like two name cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you get the collector's edition uh, business cards from previous years. Here's my oh, look at that. 2023 yeah. business card. But here's my... 2047 business oh, no. card. Oh, no. Wait, 2047? Why not 2046? <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. Keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you again to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. <laughs> <laughs>